Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. And good morning, gardening friends. Last day of September. Where does the time go? I have no idea. We are ready to roll. Bev Daring will be your first point of contact when you call in this morning. And yes, the hard taskmaster, John Glidden, is standing by. Big thanks to Alan Simons for creating a splendid morning of music and interest, as always. And our cycling DJ, Jim Crinan, wrapped up the breakfast show just now with his cycling report. And Jim shall return this time next Saturday. Faye Caro, good morning. Good morning, Ray. Lovely to be here. Busy writing away there. Doing my homework. Prepping, prepping, prepping. Right at the very last minute. Our rainfall at the moment too. But guys, uh, 44.6 for September uh, against an average of 81.8. So disappointing. Uh, we We need more rain. We really do. So let's hope we get some through October. I don't mind a wet summer myself. Oh, there's a little bit on the radar, <laughs> yeah. I think. And I was looking at my everlastings this morning, Ray. The the flower buds are nodding. Oh, yes, because that's what they do. I must. They, it, well, if that's the case, I better go and check mine because you and I put them in pretty much the same time. Mm. I'm a little bit behind you, but I better go and have a closer look at mine. And of course, the downside of planting them late was with the dry weather we've had to water them yeah. whereas if we planted earlier the they would have been up flowered and yeah no, no and i've care. had to sort of be on snail patrol with mine mm. you know because i know that the snails do enjoy an everlasting or two they do yeah so but i've so had far, to put so out good. rabbit barriers <laughs> yeah well see we've all got our crosses to bear haven't mm, we yeah. we have actually it's looking a bit dark out there today ray maybe it is overcast yeah maybe yeah a shower will be good. It would be. I would be very happy with mm. that. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought there was a bit of water around last night, but I think I was mistaken. Actually. No, we had a little bit of Did rain yesterday. A little bit of precipitation <laughs> puts a, a nice little bit of humidity in the air. We like precipitation, and did we have a hot one in the middle of the week oh, as well? It's well, crazy. Like, was yeah, everyone out watering that day. Yeah. Yeah, well, things were my look. Oh, yeah, annuals and things. And, of course, they're winter annuals. Yes. So they're going to disappear very quickly if we have too many more days like that. I'm hoping to get another month out of my winter annuals, and then I know I'm mm. going to lose them. But I've got gorgeous lobelias. I've got uh, violas, and I've got pansies, and I've got pops of colour all over the place, and I'm trying to hold on to that as long as I can. Well, exactly, yeah. yes. Hopefully they'll um they'll hang in there. Yeah, for a little while, see how we go. But uh, yeah, you've got to keep the water up to those guys. Mm. And uh, but everyone's in the same boat. But the flip side of that is everything's popping, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is Looking just so, on steroids. So there's so there's so much to look forward to, yes. so much to do. Mm. And I will talk about that today because I've thought mm. about what to talk about for H, and I couldn't really decide. But I thought uh, there's a bit of activity to happen around Hoyers. Hibiscus and hydrangeas. Okay, perfect. So, 
Perfect subject. We can cover those. Now, we've got Johnny Perfumo. He is the fraud doctor. We're chatting to him at 20 past eight. This is a continuation of our frogscaping chats with Johnny, and we've actually been creating a podcast of these chats specifically about frogs. So you can add more to that about what we'll be talking about today. And in the studio, special guest today, we've got Andrew Smart. Now, Andrew's an agronomist. He has a Bachelor of Science in Agronomy. He's going to come into the studio and talk to us about basic soil nutrition and plant leaf symptoms and how to rectify. And we're going to keep it very simple uh, so that we can all, people like myself, can follow it. Um, because, yeah, as we already know, and we've belted... That home, it all starts in the in the ground. It all starts with the soil. It absolutely and people do does. tend to forget that as well. Oh, it's raining in Mandra at the moment. Thank you, Graham. He just phoned in. Lucky you guys. Yeah, I, I just uh, I'd be happy if it rained every day. Actually, well, I'd be happy if it rains at night. Yeah, <laughs> get your work done. <laughs> give during me the, the day. sunny sunny daytime. Give, give listeners a rundown of your week. It's exhausting just hearing about. Oh, it. Mm. yes. Well, I've been. Having sleepless nights, waking up, thinking about these weeds because, <laughs> you know, I've I've been going hell for leather for weeks, Ray, as know. you know, and it was feeling like there's no end to it. It's like painting the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> but but anyway, I made headway and I got, I reckon I'm down to the point where I've probably got six target areas still to go. I knocked off two yesterday and it was pretty hard going but I can now see the door to the shade house the shade house got a revamp Eddie replaced one of the benches and ahead of the 35 degree day well what do you do you start putting everything where it's going to be happy for the day don't you yeah so every time you move a plant you think oh that needs a bit of food that needs repotting that needs a trim so I grouped everything. I un uncaged all my bromeliads, then I resorted them. And you know how you meant to label things? No. Well, I've got a group that is uh, one-offs and favourites, and then I've got flowering ones and sun-hardy ones, and they're all grouped. I've refilled the crates, and I've put them into a position where they get nice bright light because I mm. want the colours to develop, mm. but I want them to be protected so that their leaves don't get damaged. That's a, it's, a, it's a balancing act. I know. And then I'm wondering, mm, do I just pop them back in the shade house? Because I know they were very happy there. And the shade house would be full of bromeliads. Mm. I've also given my ferns uh, another drink of seaweed and trimmed up the daggy leaves. And a lot of those hang baskets will go into the shade house, yeah. provided the structure is strong enough to support them. them. And, yeah, weeding, I've also cleaned three-quarters of the house gutters and I take a blower mulcher up there with me and I suck up the leaves and it reduces the volume so it means I don't have to climb down the ladder quite as often to dump the leaves. Mm. And I've got two tubs, quite large tubs, you know, people would use them for drinks with ice in, etc. And once I've shredded all that and filled up the baskets, then I just scoop out the leaves. But then those those brown leaves go into my compost, mm. into layers. Mm. So that's the browns. And then what comes out of the gutters is sometimes quite muddy. Mm. I found an orchid growing in the gutter up there. Of course you did. Uh, I thought I found some slime mould. 
It's very distracting. But the view from the roof in the morning, Ray, is just beautiful. And it can only be in the morning or evening because it gets quite hot up there in the daytime and slippery when wet. Well, it's dangerous, and that's what I said to you off air. There are people out there that can do these jobs, you know. I know, and I I was thinking that, Mm. and I'm thinking, you know, actually, I don't mind it. It's one of those jobs that once you're, you're in the zone, it doesn't take too long. Mm. What I don't like is people coming in and damaging Trampling things, your plants, so uh, not um. having the care factor. I've had people put ladders in my garden on my new annuals. Uh, I had the ladder slip and broke a lie, and then mm. I have to fix it. That's right. Um, and I, ca- I don't drop any of my leaves onto the ground to clean up ladder because that's the bane of my life anyway, picking yeah. up gum leaves out of the yeah. garden and the paving. Yeah. So they go all into tubs and they're managed. And so you've got control of it. Yeah, I and I, I, I stand back and, and I'm quite proud of it. I will probably have to factor in as I get older, um, but I'm quite accustomed to being on a roof. Dad was a builder mm. and, um, you know, Dad and I built the patio and, mm. yeah, I I'd be very careful. I clear my mind and I don't get distracted while I'm up there. Yeah, quite And right. I don't walk backwards. Mm. That's a, a big lesson. You've got to be mindful. Of how you move around up there. Mm. Also, and Let's Talk Gardening today is sponsored by Garden in a Bag. Free delivery when buying six bags or more. Search Garden in a Bag. All right. Now, we also have our gift vouchers to give away today green life soil co and bigger trees as well so we will be doing that as the morning progresses we've got a lot of emails and we've got a lot of open gardens coming up too so we do have a fair bit of information to get out to you our phone number the lines are free 94841927 and our email address is gardening at curtainfm.com.au how about we do some emails Ray? let's get to work Okay, this has come in from Jackie and she sent us in a lovely photo of a tree with beautiful white large butterfly flowers. And of course you were the first to say, oh, that's the the orchid tree or Hong Kong orchid tree or butterfly. And it is the Bohemia alba. Now there's also a purple form and that's Bohemia purpurea. And that one actually is used in traditional medicine as anti-inflammatory, anti-diarrhea and thyroid regulation. So who would have thought that? They're they're beautiful trees that grow very well um, in a warm climate. They're not too keen on the cold, but absolutely a beautiful tree. And this was a cutting given to Jackie's husband. And she's asking there, um, I, when I read it yesterday, about how big would the tree grow? They're not a massive tree, are they? No, and they do respond very well to pruning. Keeping them tidy, I think, trimmed up. I'm thinking around three metres, not overly yeah, large. No, no, no. I'm sure they, they could be size bigger. Tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. We, we like, we like. Mm, yes, that would be a nice addition to, to a small garden. Totally. Mm. And this is coming from Clinton. He has sent us a photo of a hedge that is infested with the white wax scale. It looks mm. like little lumps of marshmallow. Mm. And you, 
what I would suggest is pruning out as much of the infested material as you can and open up the bush because mm. airflow is very important. You can get in there with a high-pressure spray and just shoot them off with jets of just water. Physical removal, put your gloves on and just run your fingers up and down the stems. And then you can also make up a homemade soapy spray or white oil or buy an eco oil. And any of those things will help because they they break down the surface of the scale mm. and open it up and then they become desiccated and the the bug cannot live. Mm. Um, but, yes, yeah, certainly opening it up is the key. And whatever treatment you do, you will probably have to do a follow-up. Yes, for sure, for sure. Now, this is titled B, and it's come from Karen in Currambine. And she snapped a photo of an insect that looks like a wasp in shape, and it's got yellow markings, bands on its abdomen, and spots on its body, and markings on its face. Now, it certainly does look like a wasp. However, there is a native bee that is a wasp mimic yes, bee. Yes, yes. And it is very, very difficult to tell the two apart. Mm. I actually have found both in my garden. The wasp is a paralaster wasp and the, the bee form is Hylaeus zonalis. So they look identical and the the only difference that we can tell is by the wings. And on the wasp, the wings are folded, mm -hmm. whereas with the bee, they're not. Now, it's and very hard. There is, oh, you can't tell. I, I feel that these wings may be folded. They look very, very similar to the photo that I have of the Paralaster wasp with the folded wings. So it's my guess, but... An entomologist will tell you, unless they've actually got the specimen, it's hard to tell the difference. Now, this is a mud-nesting wasp, mm. um, most likely solitary. They don't form swarms. They're not likely to sting you. In fact, they're quite mm. shy and they will go away. Mm. So if you've got mud in your garden and water, mm. you might find these beneficial insects. They're the good guys. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, part of our frogscaping story with Johnny is about having a natural environment, not using sprays because frog food, of course, are insects in your garden. So you mm. don't want to be spraying no. and, and harming the insects because they're part of the food chain. Mm, for these guys. So, no, we will be chatting with Johnny coming up at 20 past eight. Johnny Profumo, the frog doctor. Okay, we can squeeze in one more email off and then All right. we'll go to a break. Susan asked about... A nodding violet. She's had one for around 30 years and then a couple of years ago the green and gold terrorists decimated it so her cuttings failed. Now these pop up from time to time around the place. You they would do. possibly find them at, at any of the garden fairs at the right time of year. Yeah. Uh, the green shed has them, some of your local nurseries, marketplace there's a couple that have popped up um, yes. So keep your eye on Marketplace, Facebook Marketplace, and you might find something in your area. But also members of any of our garden societies, put the word out in your friends groups. Um, a friend of mine has offered cuttings if you do get stuck, Suzanne, but 
Yeah, just um, ask amongst your garden groups. Remember when I had a fetish and I had to have the nodding violet? <laughs> yes. And we did find one, didn't we, through a friend of yours? Yes. We, we mm. at first got cuttings. Yeah. Um, but then I think we got plants as well. And I know Jackie, who does African violets, has grown nodding violets as well. Mm. So, yes, as I say, the plant fairs and, and ask around at those places. And they're adorable plants. Oh, they're gorgeous. Stenocarpus, yeah. um, fluffy, soft, light green leaves, perfect in a hanging basket, lovely, quite striking purple flowers. Delicate that just too, that just sort hang. of weep. Yeah, which I absolutely love. Great oh. for a patio and morning sun. Yes, okay, we shall return. Thank you for your company this morning. You are listening to Ray and Faye on Let's Talk Gardening. We have Johnny Profumo online now. He is the frog doctor. You may recall previous chats that we've had with Johnny. Good morning. How are you? You're with Ray and Faye. Hello, you two. (laughs) Good morning. Now, Johnny, where are we talking to you from today? Last time it was Jalorup and before that it was Albany. Are you still on the road? Uh, Well, I've just come back. I live in Shark Bay, so I've just come down yesterday from Shark Bay to Perth for the uh, rally to um, retain the um, Perth Cultural Centre wetland. Yes, right. uh, You know about that. Yes, Uh, tell us quickly a little bit about it. Well, the the wetland actually, myself and Josh Byrne um, designed, built that back in two thousand and ten, and so what it is, it's a really good example of what you can do in your own backyard, and it's a showcase of you know our natural environment within a highly modified area and Mm. you know it's such a celebration they have all kinds of events there and you can really get an idea of what you can bring into your garden in the urban area just by going there and seeing the concepts you know the concepts are based and and because you've got little crinias there little picking frogs and the clicking frogs are one of those more advanced kind of um, frogs that you need that you it's more of an advanced kind of frogscaping uh, species but yeah there's all kinds of insects and you can see that the sedges and rushes have been trampled because of the water birds that have made nesting habitat there Wow! And yeah so it's uh, you, you look at it and it's a snapshot of what our wetlands uh, you know what they do in, in, in a natural setting. And why we set it up there was um, to provide pollination services to the orchard garden that's over the way. So the invertebrates are quite important in the um, establishment of, of that wetland. So when, when I was developing the plant palette, it was uh, a lot of species that would attract you know the invertebrates. So when you when you go there today, so we're talking vertebrates. So they're the ones that are, you know, they're insects and they're spiders and they're, you know dragonflies. And so they're not only pollinators, but they're they're predators, beneficial predators. So um, there's there's this really good system in that's that's the example of what you can do in your own garden. So they want to. Um, you know, demolish that because there's a leak and it's costing them lots. And and without really thinking 
well, maybe we should look at, you know, fixing it and keeping it as a showcase mm. for not only, you know, uh, us but tourists that come to our cultural centre because our culture is based on our natural heritage. Our natural heritage is our nat- national heritage. And, yeah, it's um, getting it's got momentum. Mandy Bamford and her crew organised it and it was a, a good turnout. So. so what time is that on? That was on last night. Okay, good. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so you can check out the Save Our Urban Wetland um, Facebook page and things like that. I can send you the details. Okay, thank you, Johnny. Yeah. yeah. So there, there of course, is other solutions. You don't have to destroy something. You can repair, revegetate. Yeah. Um, mm. And the fact that you actually created a wetland and and it's worked and all these critters have come is, yeah, quite a, a credit to all those involved and, as you say, a showcase. So yeah, in a built-up yeah. environment, yeah, that's <laughs> a huge, that? huge coup. Yeah. Yeah, and there's all kinds of people that go there to just sit and get a bit of nature and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it's, I love uh, that. It's kind of yeah. Mm. So, uh, and I'm I'm down here. I'm doing a habitat garden install tomorrow at the uh, Piney Lakes Eco Event. So I'm just going to get that set up today, and so I go through the principles and not much installation tomorrow, but get my hands dirty today. And then uh, I've got the Bustleton Flower and Garden, Wildflower Garden Show next Saturday, giving a talk down there. Oh, you are a busy man. We're lucky to to get you. (laughs) So, Johnny, in our last two episodes, the Beginner's Guide to Frogscaping, Mm. we've talked about knowing your frogs and uh, we've covered the moaning frogs, the slender tree frogs and the motorbike frogs, which are common around the Perth area. We've also talked about water, where to locate it, its importance, uh, and their food, the the importance of the insects, the pollinators and the predators, and plants that you need to, to encourage all those things, and logs. Now, we've talked about the horizontal logs. We haven't talked about the vertical logs so much. Yeah. So now we're going into... Actually, yeah, okay, we'll look at the logs and then I want to get closer to the ground. Okay. So the the um, vertical logs are really important because that uh, is and, – and what you can do with those vertical logs, you can place a bird bath on those if you wanted. Yes. We can leave them as they are because – and um, y- there's, there's two things with that. Look, birds will start to use that water body as a place to – not only um, get water, but to, uh, you know, preen themselves and yeah. have a bath. Mm. So uh, that's that's one great thing. There's So they use that pole as a kind of in. When I call in, they usually sit there before they go into the, the um, and get their drink and things like that. So they're always looking out for predators and, and uh, they, they take turns as well. These The birds take turns. Uh, and they have a particular way of uh, coming in. Um, so, yeah, if you look at bronze-winged pigeons in my backyard and they have a certain circuit that they do. Um, so those those vertical poles are quite uh, important for the in, for the birds to get an in. The, uh, the other thing with those poles is that you can drill holes in them. 
So this is talking about the um, mainly the native bees, and our native bees are quite solitary. But the females um, use those holes uh, to put their uh, eggs eggs in. And so we've got about 350-odd species of native bees just in the southwest, and we've got about 1,700 species in Western Australia. And so there's there's a whole variety of holes that you need to you know yeah you need to drill, um, and you need to put them in different depths, so to about uh, thirty millimeters to thirty five millimeters, and width diameter of the drill is varies as well. So you can go from about six mil right up to about uh, eighteen no not eighteen probably about eleven to twelve mil. And the first year you do that, so it's coming up. It's because it's spring. The equinoxes last uh, Saturday, yeah. so that's the first day of spring. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> we, you, you want to. That's the trigger for a lot of species to start to awaken, and and it's it means that our native bees are going to start to be active. And so where you position that, um, you might want to put a few vertical logs into your system with holes. Mm. The vertical logs and and using them and those holes are actually a better outcome for native bees than the bee hotels, simply because the thermal um, insulated properties of those of that wood uh, is a lot better than having them in like bamboo and um, quite quite thin uh, dowel. The other thing is when when you get uh, wasps predatory wasps come along. They come along and it's like, because you've got those bee hotels, everything's all together. They just it's, come along and go, tuk, 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 take it's them a smorgasbord, isn't it? Everything's yeah. there ready for them. <laughs> yeah. So the bee, the poles, the vertical poles with holes uh, is a good thing for the native bees. And those native bees, you can get native bees that are quite specific in the what, what they pollinate. So they, po- they can pollinate native plants only. But then you get other native bees that can pollinate both production, as in your fruit and veggies, and uh, native plants, such as your blue banded bees. So what I like to do is put a few holes in of varying diameters and then see what works, diameters and depths, see what works that year. And then next year, once you see what's worked in your garden, come back and put some more holes based on what has worked. So, yeah, the vertical poles are very important. And also lizards like to bask on them. Mm. So they're another uh, important little uh, critter in your garden that does things. So when you... And I want to get down closer to the soil surface itself because advanced frogscaping is about having, like, a succession of, of things happening, of plants having grown and... Then once the plants are growing, uh, they drop their leaves. And the leaf litter on that ground is really important because a lot of the insects use that leaf litter not only to to munch on, but they use it for protection um, from rain and and the sun as well. And as soon as you, when you walk out and you actually do some rummaging around in the wetland, and amongst the leaf litter, you get a high variety, high diversity of invertebrates. And what eats invertebrates? Frogs love invertebrates. And if they don't have to go too far, 
that's the important thing, especially with the more habitat-specific frogs, such as your little clicking frogs that you've got at the Perth Cultural Centre. If you go there, if you go there in the next few weeks, you'll actually hear a cacophony of uh, clicking frog chorus during the day. Oh. Because mm. I, I know I've heard them at night time in in the southwest. Um, mm. Yeah, and yeah, actually in the day as well, where there's yeah. lots of water and reeds, and it's a, a lovely sound. Yeah, yeah, the boys are quite. That particular frog is one frog that's a great frog to put in the urban habitat garden because they're so that they can what what can trigger them uh, to call because there's frogs have got like a variety of calls. The main call is you know for for mating to attract a mate. But then there's territorial calls, and then there's a call for uh, being a, uh, predators around. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's a variety of the territorial and mating calls that you'll get uh, out of those frogs that you hear at the Perth Cultural Centre. So check check it out when if you can, there, listeners. So, who are the predators for the those little clicking froglets? The predators. Well, you've got predation happening at an egg stage and a tadpole stage mm. uh, and and 95% of frog biomass, when I say frog biomass, it's at the egg, tadpole and adult stage, is actually food for other animals. It's soft protein. So yeah, it's, it's something that people don't like the idea of hearing, that their cute frogs are, are, are food, a food source. But, uh, you know, there's lots of birds, there's other frogs. If you've got a lot of motorbike frogs, they'll actually eat a lot mm. of your, your frogs in. But, yeah, there's there's birds, there's snakes, there's, um, yeah, rep- reptiles, there's um, all kinds of... And, and there's also invertebrates such as, you know, your dragonfly larvae, uh, your, your mayfly larvae um, that are vicious uh, predators and... Um, well, vicious predators. They're, they're they're just predators that um, they're high order predators in the wetland and uh, will eat tadpoles um, okay. and the and and the eggs as well. So, yeah, but the the leaf litter is quite important. If you don't have that leaf litter as well, uh, you can actually bring some in. I and and gum gum tree leaf litter is good. Uh, and what it will do is it will release it, um, its 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 tannins into the water, and tannins are a natural algae side as well. So you're getting like many benefits just by having um, leaf litter, and that also suppresses the weeds. So then you kind of um, yeah we we're kind of you you're looking at. A lot of our frogs that are very habitat specific and um, like living in that leaf litter is uh, that's their colour, their thorny colour, they're brown. They've they've designed to camouflage in with leaf litter. Yeah. Mm. Well, Johnny, you've got me um, enjoying my leaf litter a little bit, bit more. more now. I kind of <laughs> I've switched my thinking to cursing the gum leaves to mm, your habitat for my frogs. <laughs> Just be wary of the plant, of the leaf, of the plant that you're getting the leaf litter from. Myrtaceae, as in you, you, eucalypts and you, and and those kinds of plants that you can smell that have the eucalyptus yeah. smell, uh, are fine. 
but you wouldn't want to be putting something like U4BAC, White Sap, no. uh, Oleander and, you know, um, that type the, of knowledge, the White yeah. Sap kind of yeah. stuff. So mm-hmm. just be wary of what what's going in there. And if you're putting deciduous leaves in there, that's a high nitrogen kind of dump. So that can cause to uh, water um, degradation, you know, the reduced water quality. So, yeah, be mindful of the type of leaf leaves that you're using mm-hmm. uh, in that in that area. But leaf litter is, is very fundamental to attracting and accommodating. And don't forget, once you once you move your way out and you're putting in more terrestrial plants, less big reds, less big reds. Yep, as in the flowers? Yes. Yes. Uh, as in because invertebrates do, don't generally see red. What you'll do is you'll attract the noisy rainbow lorikeets and the aggressive um, nectivorous birds. So, and 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 even less uh, grevilleas, especially the cultivar grevilleas. The the blood on those grevilleas, the, the sap is is quite toxic, and that's why you get that uh, allergic reaction. Yeah. So, there's so many other plants, you know, and you've got to look at prickly plants. Prickly plants, throw your prickly plants in um, in a bit of a randomised manner, in a, in a bit of a, just think of a small bird coming in to get some water and I like to throw some pebbles over my shoulder to actually work out where those small birds are going to come in. They will use those prickly plants as an in and, you know, we have domesticated animals such as um, cats that are pretty amazing, efficient predators. So prickly plants... Uh, are really good in your garden. You've got like various um, upright hemiandrus snake bush. Yes, that's that's really good. You've got the hakeas. They are really good. You've got a variety of um, acacias that are quite prickly. And 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 also with that, um, use some small creepers. That the small creepers will grow in amongst. The, and once they try to find the sunlight, little birds use that as a thoroughfare. So it's kind of. And also the native bees, we talked about the female native bees, but the male native bees use those tendrils on those creepers. They sleep together. So they sleep on, the males sleep together and they um, they hang on with their mandibles, their jaws, and that's how they sleep. So you're ticking off a lot of things by just looking at what the invertebrates can see and how they use it, but also the small timid um, birds so you've got like um, you've got wrens. If you're near a reserve, you you could potentially have wrens and robins and grey fantails and things like that. But then you've got timid, nectivorous, insectivorous birds. So the the nectivores that we see, such as your um, New Holland honey eaters, they're quite aggressive, but they are insectivore nectivores. They still need insects in their diet, especially when they're uh, um, fledglings and they and they and that's re- retains their color so um yeah it's important to understand that those small honey eaters and the timid ones are such as the brown honey eaters and the western spinebills and things like that if you're going to have like my favorite plants to provide nectar for them is the different types of adamantus the woolly bushes mm. they have got a small red flower on them and they and what what the aggressive nectivores won't do is they won't set up a uh, territory around them because they're nectar garters and they're quite aggressive the way they 
um, guard that nectar. Johnny, so, you have ticked a lot of boxes, and I'm yeah. sure you know listeners are. Th- well, I can't wait to get home and <laughs> do more with my pond area and put in some more vertical logs with more bird baths. Mm. But you're so inspiring, and you've given us so much information. And John will put this together. He'll compile the three chats that we've had yeah. and make it available as one podcast mm. to to yeah. help people put together their their frogscapes. We're just about out of time, but thank you so much. I yes. know we could talk all day. We could talk for two hours and just sit back and listen to you, Johnny. You're brilliant. Oh, thanks. All right. Well, have a good day. What well, good doing? luck with all Getting of your endeavours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks, Johnny. All right. Bye for now. And we do have to go to a break, guys. When we return, our next guest, Andrew Smart, agronomist, will join us in the studio. Curtain Radio. And you are listening to Let's Talk Gardening on this lovely Saturday morning, obviously on Curtain FM 100.1. Special guest in the studio, Andrew Smart, has kindly joined us. Good morning. Very good morning to you. Thank you for trekking in. Do you find it hard to come to the university campus? or No, not at all, but it's a bloody beautiful campus, isn't it? It really Absolutely is. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. forgot how nice it was. So Yeah, it's, mm. an, it's an amazing, amazing... It's a city within a city, isn't it? It really is, yeah. yeah. So we, Andrew... We're just a pimple on a pumpkin here at Curtin <laughs> FM. <laughs> so what's your background, Andrew? Um, well, I'm, I've, I've had a few different hats over the years, but yeah, plant physiologist um, was my initial career and got into the agronomy sector in the Broadacre seen mainly I guess you'd say and then you know, I branched out into chemical engineering from there but yeah my true interest lies with yeah the natural side of the sciences oh, and soil science yeah, soil and sciences yeah building the, the soil well you're in the right place here because our listeners love to know how they can get better results from their gardens yeah. well I'll do my absolute best to um <laughs> yeah well thank you so much and Joanna I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly called in and said could you please advise tips for growing fertilizing artichokes and when to pick fruit i'm going to be blatantly honest with you artichokes is slightly outside of my uh, realm of knowledge um but if we look at you know the actual principles of of fertilizing and and how how plants you know function with fertilizer and soils um basically there's three major nutrients the macronutrients that we talk about and i'm sure we've all seen the npk so style fertilizers that the local hardware stores and that, N being nitrogen, yes. P being phosphorus, and K being potassium. With fruiting plants, potassium is generally the most important macronutrient. Obviously, there's many different yeah. other others, um, you know, um, instances to, to, to think about. But um, absolutely, so the potassium side of things. So you just got to make sure, you know, significantly earlier to the actual fruiting of artichokes. I'm not exactly sure how they function time time wise, but yeah, just to make sure the plant is in decent vigor. Um, yeah. I've so so when we're maybe starting a vegetable garden, mm-hmm. we're looking at generally building up the soil. So Absolutely. And artichokes are no different. So a well-prepared soil that's got um, moisture-holding capacity. Absolutely. So say we were starting off yeah, well, with that, sand yeah, in the garden. Yeah, that's a great lead. And that was a, thanks for bringing up the whole sand thing. So West Australia is a funny place. It's some of the yeah. oldest soils in the world, mm. some of the uh, least nutritious soils in the world, as I'm sure your listeners know. Mm. So you guys are doing a great job to get the gardens that I, that you that you have. Um, organic matter is of crucial importance. So organic carbon, as we as you know, that's, that's the, the measure we take, is um, generally indicated in a percentage term. 
Western Australia values are between 1% and 2% across the state. In comparison, somewhere like New Zealand, 12 to 13%. United Kingdom, 13 to 14%. Yeah, so, so we need a, to increase our carbon. Absolutely. How so do we do that? Organic matter. Um, anything yeah. you take out of the soil, anything that the soil produces, a great rule of thumb is it's got to go back. Mm. That anything mulching, any any green waste, any any organic matter that can decay, and feeding, bring that that percentage feeding, up is of crucial importance. Okay, well, thank you. So, now, sorry. So we add um, manures and compost that we can make. So, I've just finished cleaning three quarters of my house gutters, and the leaf litter that's come out of there and the mud makes beautiful yeah. Absolutely compost. Does. Absolutely mm. does. The biggest battle you have, obviously, with the, with your plant trimmings is to get it to break down, you know, in a yeah. timely fashion. Yeah. Gutters do half the job for you. Um, they do. Yeah. As we know, for any, any organic material to break down, we need two things. We need it to be damp and we need it to be warm. Yeah. Um, gutters are a fantastic natural ecosystem for that. <laughs> yeah. so. On our roofs, it's all happening yeah. for us. It's brewing nicely. Yeah. Okay, we're in Yanjabup talking to Charlie. Good morning. Morning, good Charlie. Morning. Good morning, ladies. How are you? Very good. How can we help you today? Um, I've got uh, blueberry, uh, a few blueberry pants. I've got one. It's loaded with blueberries, <coughs> but no leaves. Oh, okay. Is it a deciduous it's variety? or Do you know what variety it is? Uh, it's a burst, a burst. Burst. All right. Some of the... The varieties are deciduous, um, so is, is there any signs of new leaves coming? Oh, there's a few, but it, it just pretty well the last few years it's done. But it, it has heaps of blueberries, but no leaves. It still brings the fruit on. I don't know why. I've got a few other plants, and they seem to um, have uh, leaves on them with blueberries. Hmm. Are you able to send us a photo? Oh, I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll put you back to Bev, and she can give you the details. Uh, when we've had a closer look at your photo, we might be able to tell you a bit more, Charlie. But I guess as well, long as you be, won't be today. Okay. No, that's fine. We can follow up later. Uh, is it in a pot or in the ground? Oh, it's in a big pot. Yeah. Okay. It's in a big pot. <laughs> And I'll put a new potting mix uh, not uh, so long ago, uh, while um, or earlier on in the year. Yeah. And is the fruit ripening? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, ripening and, and it's just loaded with fruit. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds all right. Um, but, yeah, as to why it's not got any leaves on... Um, Maybe they're still coming. I would monitor it for a start. Mm. Um, the thing about blueberries, of course, is that they like an acidic soil. Um, Andrew, yeah, have you got yeah, anything? I'll... Yeah, absolutely. Um, g'day, Charlie. How are you, mate? How are you, Andrew? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, so the blueberry plant, if it's got a heap of fruit that's appeared on the plant, um, possibly the plant's doing its best to make fruit and not leaves, mate. <laughs> that, yeah, would, that would be my initial synopsis there. Um, the plant can only take so much, can only get X amount of value from whatever it's been fed with. Maybe it's put all the effort into putting these blueberries out there and um, it's, it's having a bit of a break. And yeah, generally. I, mean, I would, yeah, keep picking your fruit. Um, 
I'd also probably give it something like a, a drink of seaweed and just make sure there's nothing else like going wrong for it not to have leaves. And I think you'll probably see some new growth soon. But if you can get that fruit off, like Andrew says, then the, the plant can put its energy into growing some leaves, which is what it needs to keep going. Yeah, yeah, well, it says, seems to do it uh, last uh, few years, you know. It just does a grow, but the yep. leaves never seem yep. to come on. It, it sounds yeah. like it might be one of the deciduous ones. I'll have to do a bit of a follow-up with John, perhaps. Oh, well, thank okay. you for your call, Charlie. Yeah, I just want to ask another question about peas. Too. Yeah, just very peas. quickly, Charlie, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, they've got a lot of... Uh, mildew on there um, uh, I've sprayed them a bit but um, that doesn't seem to be coming off Alright Charlie we will finish the call now because we have to go to a break we will answer okay. that on the other side with Andrew Stay, okay? stay listening Thanks very much. Thanks okay. Charlie Thank you and you're tuned to Let's Talk Gardening special guest in the studio Andrew Smart a, a has a Bachelor of Science in Agronomy and uh, is giving us lots of very good advice and continuing. So don't miss your opportunity to get your call in this morning on 94841927. So we will just follow up about the mildew on the yes, peas. Yes. And Andrew, the different types of mildew? Yeah, well, the thing is with mildews, um, they generally will attack a plant that's of a weaker physio physio uh, physiological sense. Um, so the best treatment, from my opinion, is obviously plant health. A great treatment for any mildews is bringing the potassium levels of the plant up to make the cell wall stronger, and then the mildew will try and aim for a weaker, a weaker target. And um, so, yeah, with with Charlie's uh, dilemma, maybe um, just have a look to see what variety of peas that are working for him and what ones are coming up with the mildew more often, and obviously uh, just some sort of a um, potassium-based treatment. Generally. Yeah, okay, best way that's to go. interesting. So there is is a product that I've used before, and it's um, organic, and that's an eco fungicide, which oh, I wish I could remember the the active ingredient. Uh, it's potassium. I bet you five dollars. It's potassium based. Well, it is, <laughs> and it's. Oh, I, I just can't think of the name I, at the I, moment. I will Google it while you guys are talking. How okay. does that sound? And another treatment for the mildew is. A milk mix, so full cream milk and water, one part milk, I think, and yeah. nine parts water, yeah. sprayed over. It's more effective if it's done very early on. For sure, yeah. Um, but there is also a ladybird that eats fungus. Yeah, right, okay. So you, you may be able to attract that to your garden if you've got a lot of fungus. Any of those um, biologicals, you know, um, synergies, absolutely preferred option. And yeah, if you can make it work. And, of course, um, I would, at the get-go, try and choose a variety that is mildew-resistant. And I know Snow Pea Oregon was one because many years ago we were doing a trial in aquaponic systems and Snow Pea Oregon was one that, in a hothouse situation, appeared the healthiest and disease-free compared with others that yeah, right. were side-by-side. Side, and so. in that environment, obviously, mildew is going to be absolutely the most prevalent. So exactly. If they do well there, they'll probably do well in the garden. Yep. So, One thing yep. I love about peas is their um, nodulation of in, in their root systems. You dig up a you know, healthy, healthy legume, you see all those nodules on the roots, and they're just awesome, I reckon. So nice. they're not nematodes. No, no, they're not nematodes. <laughs> they're nitrogen-fixing yeah. nodules. And, um, yeah, they're just... 
Yeah, the, the actual units of nitrogen they produce may be you know quite low compared to a chemical addition. However, the you know the proof's in the pudding. You just got to see how well a plant grows in mm. soil that's been affected. And yeah, it's just. And the other advice for for the peas with the mildew is not to water at night. Water in the morning mm. where the plant has a chance to dry, dry out. If properly. you water at night time and it stays moist and damp, you've got reduced airflow and it you can bring it on yourself. Okay. Was it potassium bicarbonate? Mm. Yes. Yep. Correct. Now that makes sense. Yep. 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 Good girl. All right, I'm going to give something away. Uh, we are heading to the news at 9am. Uh, I'm going to give the $75 gift voucher away from Green Life Soil Co. Okay, now they, at the moment, have a uh, great range of organically grown veggie seedlings in stock. Uh, and I do recommend Green Life Soil Co.'s monthly newsletter. Uh, it is uh, has a lot of timely information in it. It's free. You simply just register online uh, to become a member. Go to greenlifesoil.com.au. Uh, and they also provide good advice in getting your garden through spring and a hot summer to come. Uh, you can get a free pH test done on your soil and uh, obviously take some soil samples with you into Green Life and they'll then provide you with op options to suit your goals and budget. Uh, they are busy, so always ring ahead. Make sure that they have availability uh, to assist you at that time. Uh, give them a buzz and they will they will help you, help you out. Uh, you can browse their Facebook page as well. Uh, Yes, they're very busy at this time of the year, as are all the nurseries, obviously, uh, in springtime. But you must be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. True or false, the botanic star of many a Western movie, the tumbleweed, is not native to North America. True or false, the botanic star of many a Western movie... The tumbleweed is not a native to North America. And as you can see, our taskmaster has been at it again, John Glidden. Give Bev a call, 94841927, uh, if you know the answer. And that $75 gift voucher is yours. Okay. Go, you guys go. You've got 30 seconds before I go into the news. He does come up with some curly questions, doesn't he? I don't, uh, I don't Yes, I don't know. He's, he, he, he lives on a different... Different plateau, I'm sure. The tumbleweed. The he He's a very clever man. Grasses and... Wild radish in Australia. So it's, um, from my experience, yeah. So the wild radish plants that grow and die and look like a canola plant, but with a white flower. Yeah, when they go necrotic, they tend to a tumbleweed. Tumbleweeds. Oh, really? I hope I didn't give that away. I'm pretty sure the United States don't have wild radish up there, but I could be wrong. Wow. Gosh. Yeah, all right. I'm, I'm getting the picture now. I didn't think of... Australia is having tumbleweeds, tumbleweeds but as well. There you go. All right, guys, it is time to go to the 9 a.m. news. We will be back soon. Heading for a maximum today of 22. Right now it's 20 degrees with the humidity sitting at 58. Overnight, the minimum will drop down to 12. Heading for a maximum tomorrow of 21. A shower or two developing up to two mil. Won't be too bad. And on Monday the 2nd of October, the maximum will be 18. And at that point, the showers will be easing and they're forecasting one to five mils only. Now, Marie of Subiaco phoned in and her husband was up cleaning gutters. He took his gloves off and rubbed his itchy eye. 
and he must have had some residue on his finger or face and is now blind in that eye. Mm, the eye specialist terrible. said the very humid day would not have helped. Just wanted to warn our listeners to wear protective gear. It is like potting mix. Well, Up anything we do in the garden, I yes, I cannot stress that highly enough. If you're yeah. if you're going out, well, we can get caught out, can't we? We end up with a pair of secateurs in our hand, oh, and we we're off, off we go. And, but yeah. yes, if you you're actively gardening, personal protective equipment, and be. Be very aware. Complacency kills, yeah. Just the simplest things are the ones that bring people undone, isn't it? Yeah, and, so, and you just don't. And who would think? Who would think that something exactly. like that could do that? Okay, we do have a winner for our Green Life Soil Co. $75 voucher. Compliments of Paul and Linda Michener, our good buddies out there in Middle Swan. Patchery, I hope I'm saying that name correctly, of East Perth. You're the winner. Congratulations. And the question was, the botanic star of many a Western movie, The Tumbleweed, is not native to North America. The answer is true. It was first detected in North Dakota in the 1870s. Apparently, the seeds had contaminated a shipment of flaxseed from Russia. Hmm. Thank you, John. <laughs> yeah. Now, that it brings me back to a memory of watching... Seed heads rolling along yeah. the beach. You know yeah, what I'm talking I about, do, don't I you? Do. Ray? Now, what, does one of our listeners know what that plant is? Yeah, I do. It's, it's like a ball shaped, yeah. and the seed heads go out. I can, quite not sticky. Even, like a firework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. they dry. They're brown. They're yeah. light, and they just blow along, blow along next to the sand hills. Yeah, yeah. I'd love yeah. to know what they are, that, listeners. Yeah, you've taken me back. Okay, nine four eight four one nine two seven. We do have free lines. Andrew Smart in the studio with us. We're talking about soil nutrition. Soil well. nutrition, and we've got lots of open gardens to talk about as well. Actually, Faye, this is a good friend of yours, Tom Hogs. He's got his uh, open garden coming up very soon. If you'd like to mention that to the listeners, pop pop it in your diary. <laughs> Get a pen and paper ready. We've got lots to talk about. I spoke to Tom recently, and he he's going well. Uh, Twenty years of open garden aid to the Amanda Young Foundation. Now that is an extraordinary event. We've had Tom on the the show in the past, and I remember driving along uh, Lillian Road, watching this garden evolve and walls, brick or rock walls created on a hillside. There's a water waterfall, wow. Wow. gazebos, uh, Winter Creek. You know, it's just extraordinary what he achieved. And on one of our shows, Ray, do you remember how Tom had worn out, I don't know how many cement mixes, and he... he was without one. Yeah. Anyway, one of our listeners had one sitting in their shed and they rang and donated it to That's Tom. Right. Now that and is that cool. Kept yeah. in going. Yeah. Our listeners are very cool. Yeah. <laughs> it, just think about stone walls. Just see if you can. Oh, the yeah, best. Got the dedication to make. I just love them. They are yeah. magnificent. Aesthetically, and I love them. He absolutely transformed the hillside and the garden. The plantings of tree ferns and red irisine. He's got roses. So, so much colour and it's just a beautiful garden to meander around. He's got an amphitheatre. He mm. has concerts in the garden. Wow. It, it is a spectacle. If Plants you haven't for sale, been, artwork. 
Yes, he's an accomplished mm. artist as well now. Live music often. <laughs> yes. So he's at 3 Lillian Road in Maidavale, corner of Horton Road. Uh, 10 to 12 daily. They have Golden Oldie Sing Along with Joe. 10.30 daily Garden Tour with Tom Hogg, the garden creator. 1 to 4.30 musical entertainment and sing along with You Can Do It, the ukulele group, and they play great music. And all weekend, art exhibition and sale, work by award-winning artists Catherine Kelly, Lena Woodbrook and Tom Hogg. There are Devonshire teas available, sausage sizzle, covered courtyard, plants for sale, pickles and jams. And there's a garden treasure hunt for children. It's wheelchair friendly. There's a water caution, ample parking and buses are welcome. So this is on uh, the 7th and 8th of October. So next, next weekend, weekend. So 20th wonderful. anniversary. Fantastic, wonderful day Tom. Out. You All saw right. me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got one, uh, the Flower District, which comes under the town of Cambridge. Uh, the Northwood Community Festival is back again. Now, this is next Saturday, 7th of October from 1pm to 6pm. There's over 20 stallholders, food trucks, local displays, uh, lots of kids' flower fun and music and entertainment. Uh, there's a lot of information that's been given to us. There are flower workshops about arranging and local displays. There's compost demonstrations, recycling and plant sales, face painting for the kids, all those good things, uh, live music, lots of food and beverages. This is happening through the town of Cambridge and the location is the Northwood community. Okay, I have to get you the actual address because I'm just going off with the seat of my pants here, just looking at information that's been handed to me. Uh, I'll get that those details to you, the actual exact location if I can. We might have to Google that. It's not on the information that I've got here, but that's coming up next Saturday. I'll get you the actual exact location and um, we can go from there. But it's telling me the Northwood Community Festival, the Flower District Town Team, okay? Sounds have put fantastic. This, put this event together, all right? So we'll just get the actual location for you. Uh, I've got three pages here and I can't see it anywhere. And right. here's, here's another one. You might like to put this in your diary and plan for it. Sunday the 15th of October, just a 90-minute drive from Perth, York WA Open Gardens... And Avon Terrace, there's a morning tea in a historical garden, another stunning garden featuring roses and hibiscus, an unusual landscape garden with statues, stalls and art to browse, another garden, bushland garden with some cottage garden features, sausage sizzle and plant stall, and another garden with stone walls, raised beds, flowers and cute animals. So that's one, two, three, four, five five different venues on offer Sunday the 15th of October in York if you want more information that would be great York WA Open Gardens love York oh fantastic just only a 90 minute drive not even 90 minutes mm. only an hour from Perth mm. yeah I was up there recently okay now I've located uh, this event the Northwood Community Festival is on Northwood Street of course it is Afternoon, 7th of October from 1pm to 6pm, Northwood Street, okay, put on by the town of Cambridge. So that's their festival. A lot of the um, 
councils do their uh, festivals each year and they're fabulous. They close off a street and have lots of exciting things going on and uh, they're great great afternoon out for everybody. Something we could for do everyone. that in Jandcott. Oh, yes, <laughs> You don't have enough going on. <laughs> no, that's true, Ray. What do you want? And we've got open gardens on next weekend as yep. well. Yep. And this is a, a beautiful, beautiful garden, garden in Chittering, Wyu, Winner Downs, W Y. Oh, I'm not sure. Sorry. Um, but it's Chittering, 7th and 8th of October, 3215. Julemar Road in Chittering, a three-acre property nestled near Julemar Forest, uh, a garden on a large and bold scale. If it were a painting, it would be sprawling, a sprawling mural on a wheat belt silo and not like a neatly detailed watercolour in your home. Oh, what a lovely description. So that's um, 7th and 8th of October, children under 18 free, uh, cash only. I think a lot of these venues are cash, cash only. only. Yes, uh, yes, yes. One, sometimes the FPOS facilities don't work. That's right. Signal um, issues, all sorts of things. But, yeah. yeah, native plants, fruit trees, rosemary hedges, chickens and other surprises. Follow a, a long line of white daisies down the huge to the huge dam. Beyond this, you can admire the inspiring view of everlastings and native flora regrowth in an area that was once pasture. Oh, Wow! Sounds. And that looks <laughs> You're like going to be very busy, day. Andrew. That, that, honestly, that's a credit to the um to the owner there. What a beautiful looking property. Mm. Spectacular. And Bobby just rang in, and he's uh, one of the group who play the ukulele at Tom's Open Garden, and he's heading off to oh. practice now. Good on you, Bobby. <laughs> oh, <laughs> practice their, well. Their music is yeah. so fun. Yeah, you just want to bop along to it. Yeah, yeah just yeah. like curtain music. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. Okay, carry on. First of all, I'd like to talk about this plant that you got me. Oh, okay. It's beautiful. They bought me a plant uh, in this morning, which really surprised me. You can tell the listeners all about it. <laughs> Don't put me on the spot, Ray. You bought it. <laughs> well, Med- uh, Medinella. 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 Medinella Magnifica. Medinella. Well, Magnifica. it's. Yes, I, I don't know much about it. It's a rarely seen but you, plant. You're growing one. Aren't I've you? I've got one. Um, yeah. It, it, it's lived in my shade house. It came into bud uh, during winter. I think so they're, they're quite uncommon. Yeah. They are, but a stunning plant. It it doesn't mind being pot bound. It doesn't really get any love. It just survives in my shade house or under the patio with a little bit of water and a little bit of fertiliser from time to time. but the a nice textured green leaf. It throws a flower. Oh, the flower is stunning. That's, that's it's the unique. It's got the plant. clusters, uh, but also like a pen, pendant almost mm, flower. Which I love that. Pinkish, sort of that look, yeah. unique. It's got a beautifully yeah. shaped leaf, doesn't it? It's a that lovely, leaf is lovely beautiful, leaf. isn't it? Yeah. I must say, nutritionally wise, it looks spot on the money. So. Oh, well, very, guess where well, it came yeah. from? <laughs> it came from the John Vanna the... Savage. Oh, okay. So, um, yes. He's... Nothing goes without food there. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> Including <laughs> them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, as far as I can see, it looks absolutely spot on. Really, Not wanting really a thing. Healthy. Well, as soon as I. I, I the, the plant popped up this week in my mind. And, and it was just, on Facebook this week as yes, well, just and coincidentally. Because mm. I've been trying to find a special plant for Ray for her 60th birthday, you see. <laughs> and I just went, I know she'd love that. Yeah, and That wouldn't be did. for a few years though, wouldn't it? Exactly. That wouldn't be for a few ten, years. Ten years at least. Ten or 12 yeah. years away. 
Thank you, Andrew. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. Faye's so turning, well, when are you turning 60, my love? Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. It's a big year for us. Very good. We're 1963 girls, we're rabbits. Wouldn't yeah. have picked it. <laughs> yeah. Rabbits. Well, gardening keeps you young, right? It yeah. does. Indeed. <laughs> All right, we're heading to Hillary's uh, plant idea for a hanging basket. Okay, put your your brain cap on, Fayakaro. Richard, how are you? Good, thank you. Good. So how can we help you, yeah. Richard? Well, I've got a hanging basket. I want to put a, a um, flowering plant in if I can. My problem is that it's on a veranda where it faces east but gets quite a bit of shade. So it probably gets about four hours sun in, in the morning at the most. Mm. I love, yeah. um, for colour, I love the Busy Lizzie for a, a shaded Oh, plant. yes. That gives yes. you really bright... Well. You know, you're spoiled for choice if you Mm. want to go for annuals at the moment. Um, There's a lot of colour popping in the nurseries. Um, Is it just one basket? Yes, it is. You could also go for a thriller, a filler and a spiller (laughs) for extra pizzazz. And one, one plant that I've got going very well, and even probably with only four hours of sun, they're ivy geraniums. They yeah. they have a lovely gro- glossy green leaf, but they flower as well and they cascade. Yeah. Uh, now, I would add something else into that. So you could go for something like the Million Bells Petunias, Calabrashoa. There's oh, quite yeah. A, yeah. a range of those well, they, at the moment. Well, they grow in, in, re, in less sun. I thought they liked a lot of sun, so I didn't consider that. Well, it's is it... Do they get bright light as well for the rest yeah. of the day? Um, faces east, so in the afternoon it wouldn't, no, once the sun goes over the house. Mm. I, yeah, I still think they would be okay. Right? Uh, Lobelia okay. would be another lovely companion plant. Okay. Um, what were those early ones you mentioned? I didn't write, write them down. The ivy geranium? Yes, I got that. <clears throat> the ones before that? I mentioned the Busy Lizzie. I think that they Impatience? Are, yeah, Impatience. Sorry, I use common names. That's the impatience okay. Are, because I think you get some beautiful bright colours and they do yeah. very well in in what you're describing. Nodding yeah. violets? Yeah. Yes, we've been talking about <laughs> nodding violets earlier. That would be absolutely beautiful because, again, they cascade. They flow. They would flow over the basket and I love that. Aesthetically, I love that look. Oh, begonias. There's yeah, a, a range yeah. of different begonias. Lobelia are good companion plants in the baskets. Mm-hmm. They yep. they look really stunning. Um, Alisum, another one. Oh, yeah. well, that's They're fun. all nice. That's a make a nice filler. Mm. Yeah. It, it, what colours are you chasing, Richard? Oh, it doesn't really matter. Mm. As long as it's Got flowers on it. I'm happy. <laughs> oh, look, honestly, if you went to any garden centre right now, you would be yeah. spoilt for choice. Oh, okay. And, right. yes. I mean, the yeah. thing is, we can exciting. tell you mm. what what we think and, you know, what we've got, but going to a garden centre and finding just that, like, I, I'd be easily distracted, I have to admit. There's just... So oh, many options. Kel and Chloe, there's mm. a range of them, uh, coral bells, pixie bells. They're hardy. You know they'll last forever. Um, mm, go, yeah. Yeah, I'd probably like something that I could plant and just leave there, rather than 
constantly have to uh, put them in and out. Although I don't mind. Been, you know, yeah, okay. So, well, I yeah. get back to my first thought, the impatience. It likes a bit of water, but you're yeah. going to have lots yeah. of bright flowers and bright colour. I think you yeah. could also yeah. go with some succulents good, too. Yeah. yeah, succulents another great option as well. Something that yeah. that is hardy. Cal and Coe, uh, the ones I've got, lovely leafy green with pink flowers. And these were ones that were bought for me for my birthday last but year. They for only the flower pots. for a certain period of time in every year. So yeah, but they they have flowered a lot through the year. Spot flower. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And and okay. the glossy green is lovely. And you could fill that with annuals as well. Mm. But they're hardy. Yeah. Right. Okay. Go shopping, Richard. Well, there's more than what I. There's more than what I thought. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's just scratching. We haven't even scratched the surface, actually. Yeah. We. Oh, right. Perhaps we can talk next week. Maybe we can get off to a garden centre and <laughs> rattle off a, a list of what's available. That would be perfect for that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, thank you, ladies, for your, for your time. Good You're luck. welcome. Thanks, Richard. Okay, cheers. Bye. Bye. All right, we're going to a short break. When we return, we're chatting with Sue and Peter. 100.1 And we are back. Special guest in the studio with us this morning, Andrew Smart, who is an agronomist as well. All right, we're going straight back out to the lines. We're in Warnborough. Sue, hi. Hello, how are you? I'm not too good, but at least you can hear me. Are you um, okay, love? Are you all right? Yeah, all yeah, right. I'll, yeah. I've just had an infection in my chest. And, yeah, I can hear um, that, yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, sort of carried on from the other thing going around that was mm. um, the virus too. And yeah, plenty, plenty out there. Carry on. Mm. Anyway, um, I'm a gardener myself. I love gardening. Um, I do get cast up outside and just want to think what I've done to my garden in a residential area but um, I've had to take my hibiscus off of my retaining wall out the back garden that adjoins people's fences if you know what I mean um, and the fence um, I got blamed for the fence tilting so I thought oh well it's got to be the root system on the hibiscus that's gone down and pushing the fence over so we dug the whole lot out, which took us near on two days. The roots were really, really thick and really went underneath the fence. So we took them all out and I bought some lily pillies um, because it just looked bare cream fencing, which I didn't like. So what I've done is I've put some, I've put some lily pilly bliss and I've put winter lights um, around and I give them a space now can you just tell me um, what's the root systems on the lily pillies to the hibiscus hmm. uh, I, I'm not familiar with either of these varieties um, oh, do you, do well, you know what's, what height they grow to Sue? Yeah, three, three metres and um, can go to four three to four because I did tell them down the nursery um, they got a fence line I can keep them cut down to the fence line so she said well three foot would be nice and the winter lights is the um, silage resistant 
lily pilly with the little berries on it and the leaves all come out red and, and that are oh, they're in I mean they look lovely. And the other one, the backyard bliss lily pilly as well, which the name for that one would be um if I can pronounce it. Um S Y Z Zizigium. Yeah. Yeah, and that grows to approximately three to four, depending on the soil conditions. Um, and I read all that, part shade, yeah, yeah, good. Three um, so can I ask, what was the hibiscus that you took out? Oh, they went up to about six, seven foot. But what variety the were they? Um, they were, um, uh, hang on a minute, let me think. There was a Hawaiian one, which I'm just going to, that's the last one left to come out. I'm just, and I had, yeah. I had the ordinary, what you get in the nursery, the pink, um, um, the red, and there's one that sort of the leaves sort of droop down with the red hibiscus on it. Um, and you just, the flowers are on the end of it, if you know what I mean. So I cut, I kept them cut. Um, and they were just our hibiscus, what was there, the colours were all different. Yellow, reds. Um, okay, I'm I'm surprised that that the hibiscus have caused such a problem. Um, yeah, really and I, bad. I don't know that the lily pillies will be any better, really. So uh, just very quickly, was, was the hibiscus quite a fast growing? Um, how long was it yeah. in the in the uh, in the area for before you removed it? Oh, it had been before I moved it um, where mum. Um, to uh, 2005 okay. when I moved in, I put them in then, yep. and so to now. Because they, they do have a particularly fibrous root system from my experience with them, and they, they are very aggressive at water seekers. Um, yes, very. So that, that may have a bearing on it, that they um, they love throwing out root systems to, to find things, especially in sandy you yes. know, subsubs. They were going under, the, we, where we cut them, we couldn't go under the fence, but we cut them right to the fence. Sure. Um, there and they haven't come back up now. And there were lots naturally. of horizontal little lateral roots coming off the main main roots. I'm assuming, like a big fibrous mat when you pulled them out, like a, like a um, no, like a pretty like no, a decent they were looking root solid. system. They were. There's one more to come out, which is up near the um, our um, para avery, um, and that's um, Roy's cut that right down to the fence line, um, but we've cut a lot of the uh, branches. The roots, uh, sorry, the um, uh, the things that come out from the bottom, um, we've cut a lot of them off. Mm -hmm. So it, they're more or less, that's more or less just straight now. So that's going to be the hardest one. That's the last one for us to dig out. But we know it's doing damage because people at the back of us had some trees there as well were overhanging us. And it was a fire hazard really bad. So he had them all chopped down by a tree specialist and cut back for us. Um, but I know by looking at the one that's hibiscus that's left there, that is where that fence line is going into the man that had all the trees cut down there um, and his lemon tree. Um, you can see that fence. It's definitely got to be all my hibiscus that's pushing that towards the back of his property because right. what, so, what do you need so what do we need to do well do you know what i would recommend mm. to stop roots going into a neighbor's property is putting down a root barrier mm. on the fence line um i'm i'm not sure that putting 
lily pillies in that are going to grow potentially to four metres mm. would be any better of an issue mm. because I don't... What I was trying to get at with the hibiscus, the hibiscus tiliasis with the burgundy leaf and apple blossom hibiscus are both very, very large hibiscus. I've never had... But no, no, so yours are not that yet. and they've still caused no. that problem. Yeah. I think yeah. a root barrier to stop them going on the other side of the a fence physical barrier is, is your, always, yeah. your best bet mm. to stop it happening well, again. All right, so you don't know if they're very evasive, the lily pillies or not. You don't know that. With the hibiscus, the family of plant that it belongs to historically has an extremely invasive ability to seek for the root systems that go wandering. I mean, what else could you put along a fence on a retaining wall then? There's a lot of of options. I don't don't personally wouldn't put Lily Pilly there. I wouldn't do it. No, Mm. because they are a big, Mm. a biggish bush Mm. tree. and they've got more of a lateral root system, a lily pilly, because obviously they they grow up and they, they need that that structure. So I believe they will branch out in a lateral in a lateral fashion. Yeah, so they it could have, cause you issues. I've cut that them sort. back. I've cut that back because they do actually they look so lovely amongst all my flowers, um, and they just look they look stunning. My back now, I'm thinking, oh no, I better I should have rang earlier, but I couldn't get through to you. Before I bought them. Well, I think my my best advice would be putting down a root barrier so it doesn't happen again. For sure. Oh, all right. Well, I won't be happening again because they're all in now, so I'll just be doing a root barrier, I think. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's given me something more to do now. Yeah, it sure has, Sue. All right, look, yeah, look after yourself. Right, Take good luck with it, Sue. Yeah. Okay, we're heading to Redcliffe. Peter, thank you for waiting. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I've got buckets and buckets of algae that I've dug out of the pond. I want to know, do I have to compost it or can I use it straight in the garden? How are you going, Peter? Yeah, good, Andrew. Um, yeah, I've got buckets and buckets of algae that we've dug out, we've scooped out of the pond. Is this like and, a garden uh, pond, I'm assuming? Just like a, a stagnant pond or does it have any water flow in it or like a, like a little sprinkler? Um, I've got or? A, um, a solar fountain thing that circulates it okay, but, okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm growing edible plants in the actual pond yep. but the algae I've got buckets of it that we've actually scooped off the top you know tell me what the algae looks like just just yeah very is quick. it the string algae it's bright green and right. it's like a, it's like a, a mat that's the only way to describe it it's quite soft yep, um, I know the stuff you're talking about yeah um, yeah, you can, Peter, you can, but the only thing is that it could be extremely high in nitrogen, it could be extremely high in certain other macronutrients. Obviously, it's it's going to be fine. However, if you do dose up a plant that's, say, you know, like many natives in Australia, they're not particularly nitrogen tolerant, you may have some issues. Mm-hmm. I would suggest you just use it sparingly, but, yeah, by all means, just, yeah, that should be fine to go on. I don't need to put it into the compost then and let it break down. It wouldn't hurt, but I believe you could, on you know, depending on what, you know, specific varieties you are growing... I wouldn't have any yeah. issue recommending to go with yeah, that. Mo- most of the plants I'm growing are edibles now. I've got um, a lot of bush bush tucker plants that oh, I'm lovely. growing. Awesome. I know. I know. I've gone onto a bush tucker diet and it's really interesting. Good on you, Peter. <laughs> and you don't have to buy fertiliser, so even better. Absolutely. And, and the ones that are in the pond, you'd be surprised what you can grow in a pond. Basil mm. and uh, um, native Vietnamese mint all grows in the pond beautifully. Oh, that's awesome. No soil needed. And, yeah, it's it's amazing. So, um, And you can control yeah, it with I mean, the uh, hydroponic factor. You can just, yeah, 
add what you want, can't you? Yeah, so I just put some of the hydroponic liquid, the part A and B, mix it up, pour it into the pond every month or so. So I've now got to four ponds. Awesome. (laughs) No, very good, Peter. Yeah, thank you for that. I just didn't know what to do with it. As I said, we dug it out and it's just sitting in a bucket and I'm like, what do I do with this now? Yeah, either is fine, but yeah, you can, you can compost it, but it should be right to go. Okay, beautiful. Thanks for your help, Andrew. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Good luck. Thanks, okay. Peter. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Question for you. With chlorosis in plants, does it depend on the plant as to how you treat it or is there any general information that you can give us? Yeah, well, absolutely. Chlorosis is a funny one, very prevalent mm. here in where we're yes. situated, sadly. Yeah. Some plants obviously do different tolerance levels to than other plants. Mm. Um, there's obviously breeding in the cereal sector, in the agricultural industry, where they try to you know breed salinity into certain cereal varieties and whatnot. Depending on the species and the you know, the genus of the plant group, yeah. which group it belongs to, mm. hard question. Yes, so definitely, there's different levels of susceptibility and actual effect. Yeah, very hard. Chlorosis is actually quite a good plant killer. Really, sadly, doesn't take a great deal of chlorodynes to kill a most most healthy plant. Sadly. Yeah. How does one go about correcting it? What do you need to do? Um, do you need to test the soil? Well, basically, yeah, soil testing is always a great idea, in my yeah, opinion. You do it yeah. as much as you can. But obviously, the, your water source as well. Like, what, what are you watering your plants with? Is it a bore water? Is it bo- a bore from your property? Is it rainwater? Scheme water? Mm, Some mm. of the bores, obviously, there's a huge variance in West Australian metro groundwater. Yeah. Um, you know, with different metals and different ions and whatnot. Mm. And um, as you can see by the stained fences in some suburbs and yeah. not in others. But yeah, Clarissa, it's a funny one. Um, mm. Yeah, but, but yes, definitely. Some varieties are susceptible, some aren't. So, okay, yeah. One of the common questions we get is my my citrus leaves are yellow. Yeah. That's a great question, isn't <laughs> it? I've heard that one a couple of times <laughs> over the years. Yep. Um, yeah. So, obviously, your leaves or any, any of the tissue plant tissues are a, a fantastic way to identify any deficiencies or any, you know physiological problems. Um, when a leaf is yellow on a plant, generally, it's a macronutrient deficiency of some description. Yeah. A really extremely broad sweeping strokes here. Um, phosphorus or the phosphate ion makes root growth. Nitrogen makes leaves green because the chlorophyll factor. And potassium, this is the MPK, as we spoke about earlier, makes the, the funny things, the fruiting components or the, the bark on a tree or the stalk on a wheat plant, etc. Mm. etc. So a yellowing leaf on a citrus tree is generally a zinc or a manganese deficiency from my experience. Manganese. Manganese is a big one here in mm. Metro Perth mm. in the Peel region. Mm. And, of course, that's the what a lot of the cycads and palms that yeah. are in a coastal situation will suffer, with. suffer from. Spot on. And that's, yeah, funny you say that because, yeah, manganese, it's, it's a very leachable iron. Mm. Sadly, when you're gardening in sand, you're effectively hydroponic farming because um, it's got very little organic matter for any, any of these nutrients to hang on to. So if they're not utilised effectively straight away, they sort of leach away. So manganese is very active in the soil and will disappear as quick as you add it if it doesn't have anything to bite onto. So like adding compost? Yep, anything like that. Any any way of bringing that organic carbon level up, any that, that organic matter level up. Something for these, these nutrients to bind onto and actually do their thing. Compost, there's some awesome compost around these Love days. Love compost. Oh, it's brilliant. Mm. Um, you know, but in the last, you know, 10 or 15, 20 years, the humic acids and, you know, all those solid products, anything to get that symbiotic sort of mm. relationship up. Happening. Makes it. And these leaves you brought in today, Faye? Uh, yes, on a Cycus revoluta. Revoluta, yeah. And they're showing signs of manganese deficiency. deficiency. One's they in get a pot. That frizzy top, is that Frizzle the one? top, yeah. Mm. And the new growth on one of them, uh, it's. 
brown and curled, it looks like it's lacking water. Actually, it might be because the, <laughs> <laughs> the pot dried out. I'm just you know, they're say, tough. This one's not a manganese deficiency. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're just speaking water really, stress. Water stress, indeed. Mm. Um, so when we're looking at our leaves of our plants, um, very broad once again, sweeping strokes. So when I'm talking here, when you see any banding in a leaf, um, obviously different colours, different splodges, yellow band in half out yeah, the leaf, etc. That's generally your surefire way of saying there's a nutrient deficiency of some description. Something's happening chemically inside the plant. Mm. When your whole leaf is brown, and especially if it's more, necro- more dead at the end, more necrotic at the end, um, the further it's from the extreme of the plant, generally a water stress um, issue. So these, these particular examples here, I'll suggest one of them is somewhat water stressed or has been. Mm. And this one here, yeah, some sort of manganese, zinc or copper issue I'd be suggesting just because we can see lovely healthy growth down here, necrotic in the middle. So is it appropriate to use, is there a, is there a one-size-fix-all treatment for this sort of problem? When you're saying you were um, mentioning manganese and copper and... By all means. So the starting with the compost so it holds in the soil. Hold, yes, Basically, of course. Exactly. Yeah. I would suggest um, you can't really just go and throw the shotgun effect out you know, at, yeah, at everything. Yeah. There's obviously different circumstances and That's different it. treatments. Yeah. These sea soil products, whilst they're not particularly high in actual values of nitrogen, phosphorus, or potassium, are fantastic for the balance. The seaweed? For the yeah, trace they, elements. Exactly. Well, they, the whole spectrum. Yes. So as I was saying, they don't really have a great deal of actual nitrogen value, I guess you'd say, mm. or nit- or potassium or any of those, you know, particular attributes. But they work so well because they're in an ecosystem-style treatment themselves. Because they're... they're, they're being applied to the plant in a holistic way, the plant just seems to do so much better with uptake. So if you actually yeah, look at it from a chemical point of view, they're not particularly bang for buck. However, the actual effect, you know, efficiency, them, the effectiveness they have in your garden, from my experiences, mm. yeah, that would be the, my recommendation. Mm. Some sort of foliar, natural-based, organic. And know, keeping the moisture up too. Moisture, <laughs> exactly. That's the big one, sadly, yeah. So that plant needs to... You know, because we've just come through winter and it was under a patio, which is a bit silly because that plant would actually have done better if it was out in the open. So this one here was the one in the pot, was it? Yes. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's very funny, isn't it? I could be wrong, but yeah, it certainly looks like a moisture stress issue there. Yeah, didn't get enough water. Okay, guys, we will return. Curtain Radio. And you're listening to Let's Talk Gardening. Ray and Faye and our special guest in the studio, Andrew Smart. We've been having a great morning, uh, good chatting on lots of various subjects from frogs through to chlorosis. How's that? (laughs) All right, let's head to Gosnells. Joan, good morning. Good morning. Um, And thank you for having your guest, Andrew. I'd like to ask about the kale and clay. I heard someone mention that having far too much kale and clay could make it more alkaline. Is that true or false? Good morning, Joan. How are you today? Good. Good, thank you. Good. So clay, as, as a rule, will naturally be somewhat alkaline. Um, it's just that in the nature of it, due to the fact that it's the magnesium and calcium ions and it's um, how it's stacked, I guess, the particles, the clay particles, when they stack together, they've obviously got an opposing negative and positive charge on them. As a rule, in solution, they will go somewhat alkaline. Um, when we say alkaline, we're talking pH above 9 or pH 7 to 9. What sort of range are you... Defining um, alkalinity. About nine, yeah, about nine. Mm. Yeah, so I'm using whether that's true or not. Clay alone, Joan? No, no, no. I, this is just a question because somebody said it. Uh, the case. I haven't done it. 
So I've seen clays with a pH of a native pH of, of ten plus, and I've seen clays with a native pH of seven are neutral. Um, so there's there's a marked difference between different sorts of clays, different actual varieties of clay. Like a pure bentonite, which is a sodium arabidolite, I believe it is, will have a pH, which is the most commonly seen bentonite form or mm. clay form, will have a pH of about eight and a half to nine in solution naturally. Okay. So yeah, generally it is what, what it is about, alkaline what, as a rule. What about atapulgite? Atapulgite, that's a funny one. So that's the saltwater clay. Um, mm. Where did where did you come across that? Oh, actually, it was for um, a, a stock feed place for for pet litter. Okay. So atapulgite uh, is a clay that can actually hydrate in salt water, which is because clays, as a rule, they will not hydrate with any um, salinity uh, present in the water. Atapulgite is a very funny, quite hard to find clay that will actually hydrate and flocculate beautifully in seawater, effectively anything with yeah, very high chloride levels. Um, that will be less alkaline than your standard style of uh, clay. So would that be okay to put on the garden or not? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Just that it's really expensive. Yeah, what what sort of clay is, is up in the bush? You know, like on my brother's farm, you know, Dowell and Yucal anyway. Yeah, yeah. So what up there's a smectotty style clay. Is it like grey soil or red soil? Red. Okay. So red's a bit of a... Yeah, it grows, so that, they grow so well. Just add water. Yeah, just need a bit of water, doesn't it? I know, but yeah. Um, I, know, I know the stuff you're talking about. It, it is lovely soil up there. Um, great, yeah, great nutrient holding capacity. That would be a significantly alkaline clay, though. What I estimate in the eight to nine range, which is where most plants are pretty happy for putting okay. out a root system. Okay. Yeah, just add water, like Terrific. you said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did that yeah, answer well, your question there, Joan? Pardon? That's, you... Yeah, it does. Definitely yeah. does. Yeah. So, the the bentonite does tend to be more alkaline. It's always alkaline. Yep. Absolutely. But then, if we've got very acid soils, it would just moderate the. Yeah, so you, you won't actually you, you won't actually get an alkal acidic bentonite. You um like you could combine sand like acidic sand with it to you know balance it out and make it lower in the pH scale. But bentonite, as a rule, is only functions in the alkaline environment. But also, when you're adding, it's going to take a lot of any product to actually change the pH. Very good call. Of yeah. any soil. So bentonite, because it's got such what they call a strong cationic exchange capacity, it's a very power. It's, it's a very reactive. Um, particle in the soil. So that, that's good for holding holding the nutrients, though, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. If it's the right nutrients, yeah. If if things are in balance and and your ratios are correct, absolutely. And that's what your brother's farm is. When it rains, it's bloody yeah. awesome. But yeah, you spot on the money. When it rains. When it rains, when exactly. It rains. <laughs> We've had a very bad year up there. I've seen some, I yeah, some very sad crops get a crop up there. Or not. Hmm? Yeah, I've seen some um some rather sparse crops, and I feel for the farmers, to be honest. So. Yeah, very bad. And someone says, oh, but they had a wonderful year last year, but it cost you maybe a million dollars to um, to put the crop in. That's exactly right. That's uh -oh. exactly right. This thanks. is my farmer brother ringing. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Joan. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks very much. Bye. Okay, and we're... So, in your opinion, kale and clay or bentonite clay, which is the better product? It's a it's a contentious for a question. home garden. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, you need to give me the scenario in which um I need to answer that question. Bentonite is the most reactive clay um commercially available. What does that mean? So reactive. It'll swell up the most if you add water to it. And what about when it dries up? It'll go rock hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, would you add bentonite clay to a vegetable garden? I would add bentonite clay to a a sand based soil that has no ability to hold any nutrients yeah. after I've done my composting and whatnot and I'm still losing everything down to the aquifer 
that's the sort of scenario where bentonite clays is advantageous. However, um, it, there's obviously pluses and minuses with all these Both, sort of yeah. treatments. This so, is true. It's a, it's a, yeah. That was a very broad So question. as a, it's a clumping clay, isn't it? Bentonite, mm. yeah. So I, I put some, I had a bag and I put it into the garden. And How what I found... How big was I the bag, found, sorry? How big was the bag? Well, I only used... Well, it was a bucket, actually. Um, but I didn't put the whole bucket in one place. I did, like, a shovel full. Yep. And I mixed it all through, turned it over really well. When I watered, it it clumped back together. Correct, mm. yep. Pulled so sadly, when, you, when you're putting a bucket, of, you know, for volume, when you look at a ratio factor, compared to the X amount of hundreds of tonnes of actual other soil in your garden, it's just a speck in the ocean. Sadly, and it's on top of the soil. As we said earlier, it's extremely reactive, bentonite, so it loves... <laughs> sucking together and grabbing water, mm. and that's exactly what it will do, just what you described. It needs to be incorporated through the soil profile for it to have any, any benefit. Which what. is what I did. And did it, you dig it all the way through? Or just yeah, yeah, I turned it over very well, mm. and it moved back together. And this is through the sandy soil? The yeah, andy yeah. soil, yeah. I think bentonite is that reactive that it would, yeah, happily do that. Yeah. Yep. It's a pretty I mean, cool, it's a things pretty cool are growing thing. okay now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was just interesting, like, I dug all this through and you could see this white, this mm. layer of white I've, I've back on the, the surface. Yep. With it. Mm. yep, absolutely. All right, we're in Bibra Lake. Lawrence, how are you? Good morning, Ray, Faye and Andrew. Good morning, um, Lawrence. Good morning, Lawrence, how are you? Good. I know it's probably not Andrew's area of expertise, but um, we planted some uh, flowering plums many, many years ago. Yes. Um and one of the, we had a row of four of them on one side of the garden and then one right in the mi middle of a garden to be a, um, a big feature. Um, we noticed that after a few years, the north side started to die off and then the east side and then the west. And when I tried to trim off those dead branches, the whole base broke away mm. and I found that it was infiltrated with white ants. So um, I ended up pulling that plant up. Now I've got it on the other side of the house, um, on the driveway side, where I've got the four in a row, but the one at the very front has done exactly the same thing. I was, again, I went to cut off the branch at the base and the whole base broke away and it's just riddled with white ants. Okay. So rather than calling, you know, a white ant person in to go and do his spraying, I don't know what it's going to do to my plants. Um, I think, natural. Lawrence, I think that the white ants are a secondary problem. I think the wood has died, which is why the white ants have come in. Oh, okay. And because you've got white ants there, if you want to get rid of them or deter them, the best thing is to get someone to come in before you remove that because once you mm, remove it, you disturb, it. You, mm. you disturb them, they'll go everywhere. Yep. While they're there, mm. they yep. can be dealt with and treated. Yeah, they have to right. take their poison back to the actual nest where they're mm. coming from. So I think it's right. a secondary problem. Mm. Yeah, okay. Because I think that's the problem that I have in the area is that where I built in St Paul's, um, it is a white ant prone area. It really is baby while they're prone. And if you're worried about protecting your house, you would well, treat treat them that, where they yeah, are. Otherwise yeah, see, they the move. House is, the house is the house is checked and then treated every few years. Right. Um 
but it's it's the garden that that never gets looked at, and I think that we probably need oh, to sure. start getting the guys to do the garden as well. Yeah, but Lawrence, with the, with the chemical treatment that these um that these contractors use, it's it's called bifenthrin. That's a chemical name. Mm. It has an anti feed capacity. So what the white ants do, they get sprayed with it. Oh, by the way, I've never seen bifenthrin kill a plant. Just just for your own reference, um, oh, okay. the white ants take this residue back to their nest and uh, you know un- unbeknown to them. And effectively, it, it works on on two two fronts, I guess you'd say. The chemical is called bifenthrin. It's about 100 milligrams a litre. They use it at about 1 to 10 ratio from memory. Um, obviously, it's not a very nice thing to spray into an animal yourself, no. but I've never seen it hurt a plant, mm. if that's any help to you. Great. All right. Okay. Well, I'll get the experts out and get them to spray the garden, yeah. and then I'll have to look at taking that one out. Yeah, have a good chat with them first, but definitely get in the big guns. Yeah. Yeah. So All that's right. not a problem. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, Lawrence. Lawrence. Bye. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. You're with Let's Talk Gardening, about five minutes of the program remaining. So, very quickly, I'm going to give away the Bigger Trees $75 voucher. You must be a Curtin FM member not to have won a prize in the last 28 days, please. Okay, right now at Bigger Trees, you can view beautiful new leucospermums in flower. They have a new selection of hibiscus, a new selection of herbs, tomato and chilli plants, strawberries and Delaware seed potatoes. Frangipani season is fast approaching with lots of new adds, including Everlasting Love, Petite Pink, Musk Rainbow, Purple Rain, WA Sunset and more. Now, they've also got a lot of new stock arriving each week. So the above is just a very small sample. Honestly, when I was on the Facebook page yesterday, it's just absolutely mind-boggling the amount of new uh, stock that uh, Bigger Trees is receiving each week. It's incredible. And they have a new section that they've just developed dedicated to natives and hedging plants that's in the process right now. Check that out. Bigger Trees deliver across the metro area. Suggest you browse their Facebook page too. Uh, They're open from Thursday through to Sunday. Biggertrees.com.au In the love song, the 12th of never, the singer says, I'll love you to the something something have lost their perfume. Which flower is he referring to? I'll repeat the question again. In the love song, the 12th of never, the singer says, I'll love you till the something, something, something have lost their perfume. Which flower is he referring to? Give Bev a call, 94841927. And that $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees will be yours. Off you go. Okay, carry on. Running out of time now, Ray. Yeah, we are. Now, Francis has sent in a question about using styrofoam containers for planting herbs and leafy greens. Now, I have done this making them into wicking boxes, using the broccoli boxes because they are food grade. There is controversy over how polystyrene boxes are made and the gases they use, but unless they're being heated, those carcinogens are not. Uh, being released activated don't put them in the microwave Mm. and don't burn them but other than that we believe that they're food safe and it's a great way to recycle them can i quickly say my h plants for the week are and i'm going to wrap these up together hydrangea hibiscus and hoya they're all going to be coming up to flowering if you haven't cut your hydrangeas back do it now to two fat buds and the new growth is bursting away You can add compost to your soil. Good time to fertilise them. So if you're a bit of a lazy gardener, grab a big bucket of slow-release fertiliser for all plants. 
and throw that on anything that you want to flower. It keeps your plants nice and healthy. But also for an extra boost, a hose-on or liquid. Oh, sorry. Liquid foliar feed. Mm -hmm. And you can do that, plug it onto your hose and spray your whole garden, roses, etc. That will put more colour into the flowers and make for bigger blooms. And, of course, for your Hoyas, put them into... Uh, bright light, so they're getting sun. Have I done all right, Andrew? You've done extremely well. Actually. <laughs> I'm a massive fan of any foliar applications. Um, any foliar application of uh, nutrient to a plant is about 30 to 40 times more efficient in uptake. Than, than would, going than, into the ground. For the certain types of chemicals, that is. Um, yeah. any, any macronutrient generally has to go through a root system. Any of the smaller stuff can, loves going through a leaf. So it can really brighten up a, a dull garden very quickly. Well, so. and it, it does happen very quickly. You get fairly instant results. 100%. Spons. Uh, Kay of Wilson wanted the name of the tree we were talking about at the beginning of the show. That would be the bohemia, the orchid tree. Yes. Okay, I hope that helps you, Kay. And I just wanted to shout out to Karen of Queen's Park. Where are you? We haven't heard from you for ages. And I also wanted to say thank you to Jeannie and Ellen Napier for the email you sent me a couple of weeks ago uh, about retiring. Thank you very much. They sent me this cute little email and I really, really do appreciate it. And I'm still working on retiring, but I'm getting there. All right, I've got a gorgeous uh, email that has come in from Philip Scott too. It's a picture of a climbing rose. It's absolutely magnificent. And it's a cutting taken from his grandmother's house. And his mother had it in her wedding bouquet and his sister's bouquet. No special care. It's just a, a magnificent-looking specimen. I'm just showing it to Faye right now. Oh, wow. That it's looks like the McCartney rose, which I have growing at the back of my pool area. Okay. And the best view is walking down the fire break, yeah. and it goes for about six metres, cascading line. large white single blooms. And a stunner. Thank you to Bill Messy for your poems too, The Spider's Web and Nature and Freedom. We appreciate those. Now, we do have a winner of the Bigotry voucher, Chris of Duncray. Good on you. The question was, in the love song, The Twelfth of Never, one of my favourite songs, the singer says, I'll love you till the something something have lost their perfume. The answer is bluebells. Okay, Chris, $75 gift voucher from Bigotry is on its way to you. Let us know what you guys get up to with those vouchers too. We do like to live through you. Yes. And Ray, all the invitations went out to the high tea. If you haven't got yours in the mail, look out Monday. If not, contact us. Well, it they were sent out on Wednesday, post being what it is. I'd say it could go to next Wednesday before you receive it, up to next Wednesday. So depending on the deliveries in your actual area. But they have been sent. Do let us know if uh, there's a problem there. So, we, yes, we have our Radiothon high tea happening at Phase next weekend on the Sunday for those people that participated in our little Radiothon uh, quest where people donated some dollars to come to a high tea at, in Phase Garden. It's going to be a lovely afternoon. What else do we need to add, young lady? Well... That's it. Our work is done. It's one minute past ten. We need to get out of here. Thanking Bev Daring very much and John Glidden. My gardenism for the morning is, is trees and plants always look like the people they live with somehow. And a huge thank you to you, Andrew, for coming in. We'd love to have you back again. I hope it wasn't too stressful for you. No, no, you're very welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Thank you for having me here this morning. All right. Our pleasure. Classic 60s next with George Minoldi and Go the Lions. Take care, everyone. Happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.